Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome back to the Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast presented by Zwift for a very, very weird stage from Camargo to Cistierna. It is pretty flat, except for a 20-kilometer Cat 1 at about 6% in the middle of the stage with 60 k's of sort of false flat downhill runoff with no other climbs afterwards. It's on like a 1,000-meter plateau. I think we're in the uh, Castilla-Leon region of Spain, south of the Asturias, and just very, very weird. Would it be a break? Would it be the time for Trek? to go for Pedersen or Bike Exchange for Groves if they could drop Melier and Bennett. And as always, this show is supported, sponsored by, presented by Zwift. Zwift Academy is back for 2022. Registration is open now. Whether you're aiming for a pro contract like Jay Vine, who won yesterday, or Neve Bradbury, or you're just looking to kickstart your fitness with some structured training sessions, Swift Academy is a great excuse to get you going into winter or if you're in the Southern Hemisphere into summer with six workouts to complete solo or in groups with baseline rides to compare your progress before and after Swift Academy. So check out Swift at Swift.com through the link down below. The break, Benji, pretty strong one with uh, Harry Sweeney in it as well, who didn't get picked for the tour for the lotto. Not the only Australian in there as well. We've got Another, well, actually, the only Australian in there. Fred Wright is not Australian. I don't know why I was hey, considering him as Australian for a the second. The Commonwealth <laughs> Games got you so confused. You're still confused after the Commonwealth <laughs> Games explanation. Yeah, exactly. Now, when it comes to the other riders in the groups, I'm thinking about Jimmy Janssen's of Alpes in the Koenig. Time trial rider, not sure about his kick after a breakaway stage, for example. We have Batistella. He's the guy that ended up winning the U23 World Championships when Nils Ekov was disqualified uh, for drafting, I think, during that race. And since then, I think he's been pretty good in like the Italian smaller classics, not necessarily purely hilly ones, but the ones where Anizolo, for example, won that one, I think, last year or the year before. Like those kind of ones. Anyway, that's the type of rider Bratistella is. Herada was in there as well. Climby type, I think he was fighting with Thomas again on top of Chalet Renard at some point. I vaguely remember that, Vantu. And then the last rider in that group was Omer Goldstein, Climby type on Israel Premier Tech. But when you look at that breakaway, what I see is that there's certain teams in there, in Israel, where I was like, this is a team that could have been pacing in the peloton perhaps for a Bevan or something. But that's not going to be the case because Omer Goldstein is in the breakaway. What teams are left to be pacing in the peloton then? We spoke about it on the podcast yesterday. This stage has that climb in the middle that you just mentioned, and it's the kind of climb that could make it troublesome for the pure sprinters, for a Bennett and so forth. And Trek and Bex both decided to make this stage a bit harder for those pure sprinters because they started pacing with Bernard for Trek at the bottom and a rider for Bex as well at the bottom of the Puerto de San Glorio climb. 
And when that started happening, I was like, okay, this is going to be very intriguing because the gap at the bottom of the climb to the breakaway is about three minutes and a half, roughly. And usually, I think you mentioned this quite a lot, in those breakaway stages where the peloton miscalculates the breakaway, the climbs are the most important part where there you see whether the peloton has to lose time to the breakaway or not. And like, what was the dynamic you feel on this stage, for example, between the breakaway and the peloton on that climb? Well, you you want to pace at a decent pace to drop Melier and Bennett, granted, but Groves and Pedersen, they're still not top 20 GC climbers, so you can't go too quick. And Wright climbs really well. Heza Serrata and Battistella climb really well. Janssen's maybe not so much, but like three and a half minutes is a lot. And then your domestiques are spending a lot on the climb, so how much can they pace afterwards? And then if you're the only team, it's just classic. Like you just can't give it three minutes plus. You need to be at a minute on the climb and then do your thing. It's just people want to catch the breakaway. They don't want to catch it too early. It's like, well, <laughs> maybe you should because uh, then yeah. there's a lot of problems afterwards. We saw Trek pacing. They spent all their team just about pacing for Pedersen. I don't know if Pedersen also said, I, you got to slow down a bit. Um, earlier dropped and Bex didn't really want to pace too much either. Like this is a 20 kilometer, 6% climb. Like it's a hard, it's a, a long climb uh, for sprinters. And yeah, the break was doing it fine. So the gap did shoot down really fast to 230, but then it stabilized at 246. And you know that there's going to be a period of, with I think Bennett dropped a little bit, he did really well on this yep. climb, but only 30 seconds. So Trek now have to, or Trek or Bike Exchange or whoever, have to, no Alperson, they've got to pay 60Ks on the flat and keep Bennett behind <laughs> and chase the break on their own. Impossible yeah, task. Alex Kirsch can't do it on his own. And their team, who did they not bring? Edward Turn. So they brought a weird team too. Or they wait and they let Bennett come back and then Bora might help them and they didn't really help them. So then you're giving time back to the breakaway. So it's just, yeah, it's really advantage break even with that 60Ks, particularly when Benji, this break is, then they're working really well the whole time, the pressure. This reminded me a lot of that bike exchange stage chasing Court, Simmons, Bagioli in the Vuelta last year where the break was almost at two minutes the whole time. And because they kept working the whole time, it's impossible to bring them back. Exactly. That's very true. And I started feeling just after the top, the second that Bennett had dropped already was on those 30 seconds that it would become troublesome indeed to keep it going, that the break would have the advantage because then you need to calculate there's five riders left. Omar Goldstein dropped from the breakaway. So five riders left pacing against the riders at the front of the peloton. and those riders were not enough. It was, I think, one rider of Trek left and a few riders of Bex left because the tempo at the top was so significant in the peloton that a lot of riders actually got in trouble at the top. Side note, Remco Evenepoel, his team is Quickstep, obviously. And at the top of this San Glorio climb, I went back and checked the tape. All but two domestiques were dropped off Quickstep on this climb. With more than 50 riders left, is that shocking to you or do you think that they were like, oh, what's going to happen? Like, we don't need to like overly try and stick ourselves with Remco today. Do you think that it's an issue that so many dropped? 
Um, I mean, it's just not news, I guess. Like, there, Cavanaugh was working. I don't expect him to make it over. Seri, three Stevenons. I mean, yeah, like Masnada. Like, it is kind of surprising he should have uh, Masnada, Alaphilippe, Van Wilder, Favica should all be there, really. Um, and it's yep. like for Peñas Blancas in week two, it's like, oh, Remco could use that to attack. But like, I know his team did a bit better yesterday, but what pace are they going to set on Peñas Blancas? Like he has to rely on other teams will do himself. But yeah, um, it didn't really matter in the end, to be honest. And it, then it came down to a yeah. battle between the break and uh, the Peloton chasing. Bike Exchange put some riders forward for Caden Groves, who didn't get Wait. a uh, win in the Netherlands. Credits to Arkea for a second there. Because I feel like there was a moment, a specific moment after the climb, where Trek kind of gave up. Bex wasn't pacing yet after the climb. And there was a moment where there was only quick step riders at the front, where no one was pacing for about 20 seconds. And Arkea was the one that got a rider to the front first with two Bex riders on the left side of the road. And kickstarted the chase again. Because if that does not happen there, if Arkea or Beggs do not respond, this is an easy breakaway stage from that point onwards. But Arkea and Beggs put it up there. They keep going, like you mentioned. And that's how we get to a situation where it's actually close between the peloton and the breakaway, right? Uh, like, yes and no. When you look at the resource, like when they're holding the gap stable and they're not bringing it under 50 and it's like 10Ks to go, and they've already spent a lot of domestiques and the break's still working, then it's advantage break when it's five, six riders. You know, Sweeney, Janssen's right, Battistella, Herada. These are strong guys, some of them very experienced in breakaways, particularly right, Battistella, Janssen's. They're all strong guys, really. And, yeah, at that point I was like, it's done. Like, you can't – teams come forward, they spend a ride, like, eh, they stop and they don't help. Uh, yep. and Bora already have two sprint wins, so they don't really care. So Breakaway was winning. question was, the pressure from the Peloton, I feel like they almost overestimated the Breakaway. Um, like the Break mm-hmm. would end up winning by uh, 30 seconds, but there wasn't too much cat and mousing or attacking. They seemed pretty content to go to a sprint. Fred Wright was the heavy favorite from that sprint. So it's all playing, re- this is like for Magnus Court, played really well into Magnus Court's hands. When you're the strongest sprinter, you want, pressure from the peloton behind because it discourages people attacking you from further out that you have to mark and so there was barely any of that maybe a move from sweeney and unfortunately for fred wright i like fred wright um he gives a great interview seems really nice but he completely bottled this finish um he went to the front let out and it's fine to like lead it out softly to if you want to go in the front and not get boxed in but he launched it over 300 meters to go and got gave the draft on a quick, I think, semi-downhill finish to batter to yeah. everybody, to Janssen's, then Harada. Harada gets into his slipstream, comes out right, finishes his sprint at 50 metres to go. He's done. And then Harada just beats Battistella, who just came too late from deep. So unfortunate for Wright. Harada wins, though, for Cofidis. Not this. I thought he'd win yesterday in the morning. I was looking. I was like, mm, nice stage for him. His second welter win from a reduced group flat sprint <laughs> like he's not got a bad kick on him but for a climber but yeah beast battistella fred right third he'll be disappointed with that jansen swartz sweeney fifth he got a little bit boxed in 
um, and was in the wind a lot. And then Bennett, I don't know, Bora did a big lead out for points, I guess, for sixth. Yeah, um, yeah weird stage. Exactly. And arguably, Jesus Hirata is the rider that I would say before the sprint, oh, this is the rider I expect the least from. I was literally joking on the sofa before they got to the sprint. Well, the one rider we can't expect to win here is Jesus Hirata, right? And then he ends up winning the stage. So bad prediction on that regard. But when it comes to the final sprint, it's so clear that ride went so early. But you did mention it, that downhill sprint. Obviously, we've spoken about it enough in the parkour guidelines. It says that a downhill that significantly improves the speed, increases the speed, should not be at the end of a, a stage in terms of the sprint. Now, whether that applies here or not, I don't know. I don't know the gradients by heart. But... Perhaps Wright overestimated the descent there. Perhaps Wright was like, okay, it's a descent finish. I need to make sure I launch relatively early because that's going to be beneficial. But the issue is also that I think what benefited Herada as well is that the rider in the wheel of Wright, which was Janssen's, lost the wheel of Wright in the sprint, which means that Herada could use that draft. What's sorry? And he moved to the side. He didn't just lose the wheel in a straight line and Harada has to go around him. He very, very nicely moved to the right, or maybe right moved to the left a little bit too, and just opened up the perfect slipstream for Harada. So, yeah, I think position was hugely important. And I say right bottled it. He did. But I don't know what the car's telling him. Like, these things yeah. can be fixed. The car has the responsibility to be telling them the situation what to do i know it's like here the moment but it really you really can help a little bit from the car a lot i think and be like just do not launch at like he's, he's got a better sprint than these guys um yep yeah batistella he sprints from i think the last position in the group here and he ends up so close to the victory did he end up in the worst position by being that far do you think if he was closer so. that he might have gotten the victory? I think so. I don't think he... I don't know what his plan was, but yeah, I mean, maybe a mistake to be on Herada's wheel. If I was him, I would have wanted to be on Fred Wright's wheel. He probably wins Battistella easily if he's on Fred Wright's wheel going into this sprint, but he wasn't. He came finished late, and I guess, yeah, unlucky for him. So weird stage, weird finish. Fred Wright, it will come. He's been a bit unlucky or... Today was a little bit self-imposed, but he's so strong. Um, it's it's unfortunate when you like happen to vine a fair bit, like in Turkey, when yeah. these guys don't have like prolific wins yet because they've shown themselves to be so strong. Everyone marks them anyway. Anyway, tomorrow's stage, uh, no GC changes, is a good one. Could be a big one. 155 k's from La Pola, Yaviana to Colau. Banquaya, which it's a hard stage. It starts 7K, 6.3% climb, uh, flat section, 7K, 6%, another three medium mountain climbs, then finishes with 10.2Ks at 8%, and the first 3Ks are 6.5%. So the last, I don't know, like the last 2Ks are like 9% of this. It's pretty hard, this climb. It's like the second hardest climb most of the the Vuelta after Sierra Nevada. Um, and I don't know what Quickstep are going to do because their team doesn't look very... Uh, to be honest, Benji, 
I tomorrow, given how strong Avonapol looked on the final climb, the last thing I want to do if I'm Ineos Bora and Yamba Visma is to just have an easyish stage and then have yeah. Avonapol send the final climb. I think this is a stage tomorrow to put a lot of pressure on Quickstep and Avonapol, particularly as it starts with a climb where his half his team could drop. Exactly. Now the question is, well, first of all. I hope that it's coverage from the start on this stage because that initial climb makes the breakaway fight very important and the potential controlling from the peloton as well. What will Quickstep do when certain teams that are opposing them are going to send riders in the breakaway? And which opposing team has the balls to do so so early on? Because let's look at GC for like a second here. We've got Ineos with three riders in the top 10. Sivakov, Gegenharding, Rodriguez. Bora has, I think, two riders still in the top 15, being Hindley Kelderman. If you count the top 18, Higita as well. Is Higita far enough where you think, let's go early with this rider? Is Carapaz close enough on 256 to put Quickstep under pressure on the stage by going early? I'd argue that's a good card to play. I like that card. Isn't this like the stage where it started with a climb that Plap sent in Catalonia, but that didn't have a long climb to finish? Plap could just launch this out the gate and he will drop. He will hopefully he can't get in the car because he's got another two and a half weeks, but he'll put Quickstep <laughs> under a lot of pressure. It could just be Remco left. Yeah, and if that is the case, when they put pressure, like, what happens then? Like, when Karapaz goes early on a stage like this and he is able to get away in a group, that's a good situation to put pressure on Quickstep. But if Avonapool is with this man, then what are we thinking? Because if you're Karapaz, then you're kind of in a situation of like, well, then we got to sit up again and like, then there's no value in that, right? I mean, I like very aggressive, unorthodox things to even up the odds or achieve results. So I would get satellite riders in the break. If I was opposing Quickstep, um, I would say that Quickstep cannot do shit to stop that. And if Remco has to close it himself, all the better. Uh, like we saw in Basque Country, the final stage, he was getting attacked and it, it is a cost. I know he's in much different shape to that. There's then yeah. long flats here between these climbs, which if you have help can extend the gap and if it makes it harder as well, the climbs for the domestiques of Renko to come back. Um, that being said, it's his terrain. But if you're forcing him, like I don't think he's going to counter and just go solo fast. So like yeah. the risk... Like, you have to use the multiple teammates. Even Carapaz, as you said, he's not that far back. So this is the... Mars doesn't really have to, but Mars is very, very strong. Um, I don't know. I would try it. I would try it tomorrow if I was Yumbo, Ineos, or Bora Hans Girl. Even Bahrain with, like, Santi mm-hmm. and Maida. Like, why not? But who wins the stage? Because we're talking about GC opportunities here. Do you think that the Peloton wins are the breakaway? I'm actually like, I don't know. I think the amount of climbs that are here together might signify that it might be a bit of an active stage, which might lead to the peloton actually ending up winning the stage. But we've seen a very strong Mark Padun yesterday, for example, and he's the kind of card where I'm like, Padun could win the stage, for example. What do you think? 
I think, yeah, either Padun Avenapol or Vine win the stage. Um, Padun looks so good. I don't know what the weather is. I don't know what the weather is. I'm going with Vine. Vine wins the stage. Um, he'll probably okay. get, if he gets in the break, he'll get attacked in that valley after uh, the 4K 8% climb before the final climb. That's the problem for him. Same with Padun. Like they're both, everyone knows how strong they are. And from the GC group, Avenapol should look to take more time. If he gets to the base of that climb without any issues, he should uh, torch everybody, to be honest. Yeah, I firmly agree. Note, by the way, Butrago lost 16 minutes today. Does that mean that he's one of the riders that ah, will be okay. sent full with? What, sorry? Put him, in, put him in the breakaway stage win category then. Okay, there we go. And I also see that there's too much as Norsgaards in this list of riders. So I don't know how correct the list was. Nonetheless, we've got uh, Butrago, Padun and Vainas selected individuals for tomorrow's stage from a breakaway. And to be honest, when it comes to Vine and Padun, you never know if it's also from the GC group sometimes. But when it comes to GC, Evenepoel taking more time because that's what we want to see in this first week, you know? With Roglic being weaker on paper after the performance he had on the rainy uphill we had yesterday, then you expect Quickstep to punch even more on a stage like this. So firmly agree with that, and that's how uh, I also view this upcoming stage. Who you got winning? I got Avonapol. Oh. No, I picked Vine. So you got Padun? Yeah. Okay. Padun looked very, very good, and the descent maybe won't cost him as much if it's dry. Anyway. Yeah, that's the, the it's a bit flat the run in, so he should be okay. Um, yeah, suits Sivakov as well. Look to him to be aggressive. Really, really suits him this stage. But that's all from us. Shorter stage, quick recap. Big weekend of racing coming up. We'll also talk about Deutschland Dine Tour results maybe uh, tomorrow or no, when it wraps up. Sorry. And yeah, thanks to Zwift as always, and we'll see you with the pod tomorrow. Ciao. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 